Ex's neighbor was smoking some powerful stuff because when I woke up I felt pretty stoned over. Not to mention the fact I've been clobbered by sleep for upwards of 11 hours. I indulged in the notion of cereal slowly. I housed a whole carafe of cool brew. The pairing of cornflakes and loads of caffeine had a sour and refluxy effect on my stomach, and I bounded around the apartment all morning, trying to find an agreeable place. I kept replaying. X. Not dead. But how he had lived. How he'd moved through the world. I remembered this time we had met in the field. Just one of many, many times. My scanner and his doing call and response, though X would always get there first. The death had been an accident in one of those main thoroughfare drainage projects, Napoleon or South Claiborne, where the city exhumes 20 feet of concrete for canals below ground the next time that hell opens. A site worker had lost his feet at the edge of the hole and gone plummeting down. He had shattered his back flipping over a pipe. He'd lain in a dramatic pose, his arms flung behind him and buried in muck. When I got to the place where the man had gone down, I'd seen X in the hole, making paces around him. I saw the angle he was after, a shot of the man's tragedy from aloft like a still from De Palma or Martin Scorsese. He balanced at a nearby pipe. At the base of the crater, he stood on his toes. You do not see the empty digger looming high above the hole, how it would have been easy to climb up its ladder and crouch in its pilot seat, getting the shot. I had felt something watching him, some recognition, his tender movements in the hole, how he may have been not very good at his job, but damned if he wasn't ecstatic about it. Back in my apartment, I drank a Tecate. In two hours' time, I had drank half the case. I bartered a few cigarettes from my neighbor. Five o'clock came around. I was doing all right. I felt something dark draining out of me slowly. Cajun Rob came by at six, as always. He stood at the door in a pink polo shirt. Riding dirty this evening, I take it, he said. He was looking me over while shaking his keys. Man, we have got to get you food. He rolled into rallies. I mumbled my order. I scarfed a burger on the road. I waited until the scanner snowed with news of a biker struck down on Dauphine to suggest that we make a detour. At the bar where I took us, the bike racks were full. Immense, heavy metal vibrated the windows. In spite of the bar just a few feet away, there were dense groups of kids on the neutral ground drinking. A couple of dogs pranced around in the dim. Bend over, cried one of the kids in the huddle and started to pantomime rough sodomy on one of his buddies, who seal barked a climax. They were dark patchwork creatures. These dog-owning kids, with their shell belts and hoodies and death metal butt flaps, and they had something painfully naked about them even under all that gear. A sort of orphan resignation, like even they knew that their antics looked forced. Inside of the bar you had one option. Listen. People moiled in a trance towards the front of the stage. The band, which was five swaying curtains of hair, was approaching the height of a huge drop-D groove. Directly, I got me and Rob four abittas. By the end of the set, I was sipping my second. 
A blonde with her head shaved, a fuzz on one side, and her forearms a matrix of pirate tattoos wandered out from the front of the stage and came towards us. At first she almost passed us by before I sidelined her with one of the beers. She pretty much drank off the rest in one swallow. Seasonal strawberry, dude? Seriously? Her name, by all accounts, was Nettle. She'd sat behind Vaughn X's wheel as long as I'd been on the freelancing circuit. She could drive a fucking car. There was some speculation between me and Rob that once she'd been a stunt driver, or that her dad had raced for NASCAR. Whatever it was, to pursue and maneuver were life skills that seemed to reside in her blood. More even than X's expensive forerunner, she was always the reason the next got there first. Once, at the site of a liquor store robbery, while X and myself were inside taking pictures, Rob had seen her doing donuts all over the parking lot. Beautiful, surgical donuts, he'd said. Michelle fucking Kwan, brother, best you believe. Though me and X hadn't much cared for each other, between her and Rob there was grudging respect. What can I tell you? I like a good wheat beer. You boys going to buy me another? she asked. I'm grieving. I'm sorry, I said, and I meant it. We're sorry. Well, shit, she looked rueful. It is what it is. We repaired to the bar and I bought her another. To X, she said, and took a pull. I've been drunk for two days just to hold in the feels. The guy was a reckless and bleeding motherfucker, but I got pretty used to him sitting shotgun. Doesn't this come with a shot of old granddad? I signaled the barkeep to pour her her due. She tossed it back and peered at me. So tell me, she said, why the fuck are you here? Before X was murdered, I swallowed the words. Where did he have you two driving at night? Where didn't he have us? Her eyes peered around and they fell on her neighbor's smoke pack on the bar. She jimmied one loose on the sly and lit up. Earhart, the 610, the 90, the 10, Carrollton, and Chapatulis. When I got home at night, I'd be dizzy with Yui's. Scanner goes up in the summer, I said. No, she glanced at Cajun Rob. Last couple outings we had, it turned down. I paused for a minute to let that sink in, even though it made good sense. Her necks had been scarce at the major kerfuffles. Our bank account was living proof. Y'all weren't chasing captions, Rob asked her. Then what? We were chasing not captions, said Nettle. Okay. X wasn't exactly loquacious about it. Someone's been doing her crosswords, I said. Try a master's at UNO, bub. Urban studies. Tuition on commission, huh? She glared at me. I'm on my own. Emancipated myself at the age of 16. That money we made at the end of each night may not have been much to the boss, but I noticed. So he was just cruising the city at night, and you hadn't the faintest idea as to why? She didn't jump to answer that, just smoked for a moment in silence. Another band was setting up, replacing the gear of the last with their own, and she stared at the stage like the process intrigued her. Wilting Daisy, I ain't, she said. You can bet that I asked. He didn't want to tell me much. Whatever it was he was after those nights, it was almost like X didn't want to involve me. We would pull up to somewhere, someplace in the city. First Treme and 7th Ward, but getting out to 
Metri and Kinder by the end. And X would tell me, wait right there. He'd go off a while and come back out of sorts, turning something over in his secret place. Tense. A few nights of this there was no point in asking. Kept paying me too, but he did out of pocket. Leftovers, I guess, from his last decent sale and there weren't much of those thanks to you motherfuckers. I knew he had so much in savings, she said, I would have asked for more an hour. You ever see a certain car, maybe parked in the dark, maybe following you? A certain car, man? Gotta be more specific. I see literally thousands of cars every night. Louisiana plates, I said. The first half is WWJ. She shook her head and sipped her beer. I could see I was losing her ear in a hurry. Here's a rumor I heard. Your boy was a snitch. You heard the word snitch? Metal blurted. From who? Lean hard enough on bystanders, I lied. They'll give some ground before they tip. But something more pressing had surfaced in Nettle. She anxiously twisted the tab from her beer. You showed at the crime scene. You saw him, she said. Me and Rob shared a look. Rob nodded. We did. Nettle swallowed some beer. How the hell did he look? I've seen him look better, said Rob. Pretty rough. She flicked the torn beer tab off into the dim. No one deserves to be knifed in the chest. It wasn't a good way to die, Rob agreed. But by all accounts, it was deadly and quick. Did the cops tell you that? Fuck the cops, Nettle said. But I could see even that wasn't the issue. Come on, Nettle. Help us out. When she finally did answer, she spoke just to Rob. Murder happened down the block. The shooting, I think I remember. This lady worked in reception at some doctor's office or worked in a lab. I cut in. Social worker. Right, Nettle nodded. All over the news. Upstanding lady gets shot up. Do good or black lady. No car, walks to work, or takes a streetcar, I don't know. He was all broken up about that for some reason. She fucking walked to work, he said, so she could help people, help kids probably, and somebody up and does that? Fuck this world. He started asking lots of questions. People that knew her, that lived on the block. Never let me in on any of this. I was only the talent. You feel me, Rob, baby? But I could catch a fucking hint. Two years and running of driving his ass and all of a sudden there's radio silence? Sounds like a matter of conscience, I said. He had one, said Nettle, believe it or not. But there was something more behind it. More than conscience with X marks the spot? I mouthed off with a sour-bellied feeling of twisting the knife. When she looked back at me pale, disappointed, I regretted my words. I said... Sorry. Go on. The guy was ambitious, she continued. I mean, we all are. He wanted to make a name for himself. For his art. <laughs> You're rolling your eyes, but to him it made sense. And he figured the best way to do that, I guess, was in breaking a high-profile murder wide open. Y'all got test cases in night school, she said. 
the ones the professor writes up on the board and you break into partners to solve them in class with all of those toe-tapping crime skills you're learning? Well, none of that was right with X. He wanted a real one to lose himself in. He wanted it yesterday. That's what he got. He found out who killed her and snitched it, I said. I never fucking told you that, but it seems like he probably stumbled on something. A day or two before he died, he stopped asking me to chauffeur him around. He give you a reason? Nettle's mouth curled. No, sir. Motherfucker went rogue. The next day, he was dead. Me and Rob sat in the car for a while with a couple of highlifes cogitating on things. The crusties on the neutral ground appeared to have hit their sweet spot for the evening and were reeling around with their off-leash pit mixes like some end-of-times picnic gone horribly south. I've been trying to get just as drunk as they were since 11 a.m. to the best of my memory, but all I had managed was middling buzzed. Now the buzz was cresting out. Went back to X's last night, I told Rob. Snitch was written in blood on the base of the couch. Tilting his beer, Rob was silent a moment. I was wondering when you were going to say something. Just waiting until the right moment, I guess. Well, ain't this romantic. I know, I said. Stupid of me. Waiting to tell me? Yeah, said Rob. Not going back, though. I glanced at him, cautious. You think I could have stayed away? Besides, he paused to glug at his beer. It's the least we can do for the guy, is my thinking. To X. We clinked bottles like Nettle had done. Always showed up way too early. We watched the kids romp, letting booze warm our stomachs. Rob told me, I'll stick this out with you a while, but here's the fucking deal, okay? Never, ever hold out on me like that again. X shuts her out. You saw what happened. Isolate yourself like that and you are going to get your wish. The next time you see a word written in blood at the scene of your arch-rival's murder, you holler. My response was to nod. After all, he was right. But the belloc I kept to myself for some reason. So now you forgive me? I grinned at my partner. No. He killed his beer. I don't. When I opened my door, I saw something was off. My domicile was filled with smoke. It came billowing at me like some kind of wraith as the night's atmosphere sucked it out the front door, and I looked for the fire I was sure would start up any day with my shotgun's suboptimal wiring. It was cigarette smoke, the piano bar's worth, and it showed X's lady friend parked on my couch. I was still pretty drunk, and I laughed between coughs. You know how life feels like the movies sometimes? There's a reason for that. Because life is the movies. She was wearing this sort of flapper's dress with a costume embroidery stitched down the front and these black pantyhose and these red wingtip heels. She'd been smoking her head off for God knows how long on the couch that directly abutted the door and the ashtray she'd made out of one of my mugs was halfway filled with camel wides. You know that I like to drink out of that thing. In theory, 
She stubbed out her current one. Sure. I closed my front door, leaned against it, and slid. Aren't you going to ask how I let myself in? She asked. Or how you found out where I lived? Do explain. The CC directory. Easy, she said. Besides, you left your door unlocked. Did I really? I said, genuinely dismayed. I've been distracted, eight beers deep. Of course it made sense. I had lots on my mind, though I'd have to shape up in that vein going forward. Whatever bad juju would come upon X after knocking down doors in the Kent woman's murder, it was measures like, I don't know, locking your door that would help put off when the other shoe dropped. I lied to you before, she said. I was at X's place on the night he was killed. You have to be kidding. She looked at me flatly. And you figured that telling me now, I sat up in motion for her to donate me a smoke, would turn the spotlight down on you? Operating her lighter, she thought about that one. That supposes I have an agenda, she said. I'll be mounted and stuffed if you don't. I got up and walked over to crack a window. I heard Fabric whisper, turned back to the couch. Look at me, Jimmy, she said. I'm a mess. Ava Gardner, however, was anything but. I walked closer to her, upright on the couch, with her legs for kilometers balanced before her, and the leg on the top of the pile was vibrating with nervousness. Something, I couldn't be sure. I put my palm over her wingtip and stilled it. She folded out the other leg. She wasn't wearing hose at all, but a pair of thigh-highs, polka-dot underwear. She planted her red wingtip heels on the floor, and she grabbed needfully at the stuff of my shirt, and then she was pulling me over upon her, wrapping her legs around my ass. Just short of our lips getting friendly, she stopped. Did you love him? I asked. Does it matter? She answered. All right. Do you miss him? Of course. And she kissed me. It was one of those great times you almost remember. A parting of cloth. A devouring of skin. A trembling of moistened teeth. And then you come to with a heaviness on you and you know you've acquitted yourself by the species. We lay on my floor in a pile of chuck clothes. I was getting the hang of this cigarette thing. It was pillow talk, sure, but without the soft stuff and X's girl was no exception. She said in my ear, The name's Lil. Now you know. Witching hour thunder in Metro New Orleans, like mansion doors opening slowly in heaven. Firecrackers, but no, it was raining by now. Those were gunshots I heard in the city this evening. So tell me about it, I said the night he was killed. What happened to what are your hopes for the future? If you don't want me to tell you about it, that's cool. Okay, she said. We fucked, like, twice, and then I went to get us takeout. I tried and I failed not to wince at her words, but I'm not sure she noticed. She continued. Chinese, or Vietnamese. Yeah, it must have been that. Chinese is for shit in this town anyway. People say there are half-decent places, but hey, we can talk about anything. Anything else. 
Don't mistake the long route for avoidance, she said. It's only how I tell a tale. I waited at the restaurant. It was Saturday night, so, you know, it was packed. Plus, X always ordered. She paused for a beat, and her eyes turned away as her cigarette smoldered. Ordered these ginger and lemongrass wings, and they took a minute to put on the plate. So I waited there, I don't know, 25 minutes? I was reading a book, Brighton Rock by Graham Greene. I drank a singha at the bar. I was happy. This cheesy-ass guy, ten years older at least, in the country club uniform, polo and chinos, started in TMI on his life in the burbs, and I was in such a good mood, sitting there freshly laid at the bar with my paperback book that I even indulged him in listening a moment. Then my order came up. I drove back to the house. She chain-lit a cigarette, rubbed out the burner. Beside her, I propped myself up on one elbow. The door was open. There he was. They fucking stabbed him in the chest. Put him in that creepy pose. Well, you know the way he was found. You were there. There was so little blood, I remember. This trickle. She touched her free hand to my chest in exactly the place where the knife had been found and she brushed her nails down it but stopped at my stomach. I didn't call the cops. I couldn't. All I could do was get out of there fast, and now, looking back, I regret that, she frowned. I didn't even check his pulse. I remained for a time on one elbow, absorbing, while the tropical downpour played hell on the shingles. Then I dared to move my hand. I ran it lightly through her hair. Don't worry, I said. He was already dead. You know, I know that now. She said. She covered her face with her cigarette hand. I panicked. I freaked. X wouldn't panic. If it had been me and not him, he'd have stayed. Anyone there when you got there? I said. Well, not in the shotgun itself, obviously, but sure, it's the summer. Some kids riding bikes, brown baggers on Esplanade, folk on their stoops. That's why I can't figure the robbery part. It's complicated, that I know. All this soul-searching stuff about gentrification. But even if the neighborhood had a shitty opinion of people like X, it's a solid blue-collar collection of folks. Look out for each other, you know what I mean? There is no way in hell if they saw something weird like the Night Strangler fleeing with X's TV that they wouldn't have hollered, called somebody. Something. You think the best of people, don't you? Most days, she said. I like to try. What about those kids you mentioned? The ones who were riding their bikes down the block? They're high school and middle school kids. Some are younger. Barrel the street up and down doing wheelies. Ex-friendly with any of them? Maybe a couple. He was civil in spite of his haircut, you know. Liked kids and he wasn't half bad with them either. Liked kids, I responded. She stared at me. You know what I mean. You ever peruse his computer? At length. He had porn on it, fine. Every guy looks at porn. But it never involved little kids. Satisfied? I wasn't, but gave it a rest for the moment. I could feel Belloc poised on the tip of my tongue. X had been posed like a whore for a reason, and Belloc's red light district photos were key. 
She'd gone out of her way to name drop him before, but that didn't mean she was in on it too. All it meant was that Belloc was special to X, and whoever the killer had been, they had known. What about Amelia Kent? Don't even get me started on it, she said. He talked to you ever regarding his progress on that case? You're asking me, really? The dude was obsessed and nibbled at him day and night. You know that they never found out why they killed her? X told me, no apparent motive. That fucked him up, I think, not knowing. At first they thought a robbery, but then when they searched her, she had all of her money. Then they thought, you know, a rape, but all the kits were negatory. So he made it his business to find out, to know, and also maybe catch the killer. Out driving with the crusty girl, the one in the bywater, rosebush or something. Nettle, I said. She's a friend of a friend. She did a big eye roll. Bitch did not like me. Can't say that I cared for her hugely myself. The night he was murdered was supposed to be different. We hadn't seen each other much in the last couple weeks, him off Mickey Spillaning, but he said that he'd had a big break in the case and he wanted to celebrate drinking and fucking. I mean, those weren't his words, but the theme was implied. You say what the so-called big break was? I asked. He was going to tell me when I got back with takeout. The big reveal. She moved her hips. They say evil hides. That was all that he said. They say evil hides, but they're wrong. It parades. Mardi Gras reference? The fuck if I know. In typical New Orleans style, we were going to toast evil with what else? Good bourbon. Picked up a bottle en route back to X. I thought it was just the takeout. I forgot, she said, after a beat. Where all did you buy it? At Rite Aid, she said. Buffalo Trace. I'm surprised that you know. You start on the bottle. I did. That was later. Because here's how it went when I found him, she said. Fucking scream. Grab the takeout and booze. Hit the road. I thought back to what X's neighbor had said about ambient sound on the night of the murder. I didn't recall a woman's scream. Not like Jeff Spicoli was Truth's avatar with that weapons-grade herb he habitually smoked, because if she had screamed, and it seemed like she had, then why would she have lied about it? You found your sometimes boyfriend dead and remembered to flee with the takeout? I said. She was quiet a moment. I swiveled my head. In a bright strobe of lightning that lit up the pain, I saw her face gone flat and hard. You can fucking hate bet I remembered she said. I'm starting to question your sympathies here. You know what? I'm finished, I said. Never mind. You sure are fantastic at wrecking the mood. When I moved in to kiss her, she flinched at my touch. I played at a hand on her breast, but she slapped it. She violently twisted away on the floor and bolted upright in the bare center of it, rearing against the window pane, not like a nude woman, but some kind of goddess, the silhouette shape of her gorgeous, totemic. When the thunder had passed, she spoke over her shoulder. I need to be held by you yesterday, please. I scrambled upright from my leaning position and hobbled to where she was crouched, on my knees. 
seemed like a fitting conveyance for Lil, enthroned in the ether like Kali post-battle. She wrapped her arms around my waist and she leaned into me, and we fell to the floor. Not the fuck, as I might sort of say I had hoped, but the second best thing to it. Spooning in moonlight. The nighttime turned into the morning right quick. I'd only slept two hours at most, but I had that exuberant second half feeling of just having slept with a stranger I liked. Now in bed, I watched her sleep, and I thought to myself, what the hell is she on? Her tale of woe was like those levees, constructed half-acidly, bristling with cracks. Well, you know the way he was found. You were there. I had to call mountains of bullshit on that. I had never once told her I'd been at the scene, not in the stairs, and not post-lay. So unless she'd assumed it from something I said, or unless she'd still been at the crime scene herself when me and Rob rolled up a little past nine, she had let something slip that she'd meant to keep secret. Moreover, the bottle of Buffalo Trace. Not only had she never asked how I'd guessed X's bourbon, my first up at bat, it was weird she'd forgotten to mention the purchase. And anyway, it made no sense. They had already had a half bottle already. The cops had found it in the kitchen, set next to the tumbler with highball grime in it. Until the forensics came back on the glass, and that could be weeks, knowing NOPD, I'd have to file the booze away in my crappy mind cabinet of meaningless clues. Last was the timeline she'd tried to sell me. Possible, sure, but intensely unlikely. And if I decided to factor it into Daydu and O'Shea's, which I knew was legit, it raised even more doubts about who had been where and done what in what order the night of the murder. Lil had claimed that the takeout took 25 minutes, give or take 5 or 10, which you had to allow, which meant she had left X's 7th Ward shotgun at 8.30 or so and returned close to 9. X was killed at 8.58. That gave her a pretty small window indeed for grabbing the foodstuffs and hitting the road before me and Rob sauntered in off the street at 9.07 by my watch, or let alone before the cops, who then showed up at 9.15. Cops, I remembered, that Lil hadn't called. And then there was the watchword. Snitch. Whatever it said about X's forays into the sad death of Amelia Kent, I was guessing that big break that Lil never heard had something to do with its reason for being. To X, who showed up way too early. What had X stumbled on? What had he seen? The Kent woman's killer, it seemed to me now, was more than likely also X's. But you didn't snitch on a killer. Not really. You snitched on a friend who had thought better of you. The case was a carousel, dizzying, gaudy. For now, I focused on her face. She lay open-mouthed in a fan of her hair. Her breath was sweet, yet faintly stale, which made me marvel. So, she's human. Her nudity under the sheet was outrageous, breasts and hips like shaded dunes. Sneaking into the bathroom, I dialed Cajun Rob, who agreed to come get me in 10 to 15. When I opened the door to come out and get dressed, Lil was out there, bedheaded and wrapped in a sheet. She yawned a little, bugged her eyes. You never asked me how we met. Slept great, thanks for asking, I said. Aren't you curious? 
I must admit I was. Okay. We met on the streetcar. No shit. Canal line. He liked to take it now and then. He said that he found it profoundly relaxing. Seeing her do the air quotes made me laugh. Ditto the image of X on the streetcar. It was hard for me to think of him outside of his hard-charging hipster milieu, but the fact that he'd like to ride Norda made sense. A lapse of control with the scenery passing. A couple of months I interned at the morgue, parish coroner's office, so you know I got stories. The first night of class I get off for the day and I get on the streetcar, a go-cup in hand, big-ass Bloody Mary from Court of Two Sisters. There he is on the bench seat that faces the street. Oh, where are you headed? Oh, nowhere myself. By the time we get on what I do for a job, we're most of the way to the first night of class, but we still haven't made the connection. Not yet. I tell him I work in the morgue. He flips out. High fives me. He's all like, go get it, dream woman. He gets off a stop before I do. Who knows? Maybe he wants to get high in the park. On his way out the front door, he asks for my number. I give him the real one. He shouts, See you soon. I shout back, Not too soon. Face totally flattened. I mean, on the slab. And he smiles, Big as life. Life can be ghoulish ironic, I said. Class starts an hour later. I'm like, Oh, it's you. I must have come in late that day, I responded. Classic New Orleans love story, said Lil, and I tried to smile at her like X might have done, but before I could marshal my face properly, there was Cajun Rob honking the Mazda outside. Lineup Podcast is written and produced by the Lineup staff and myself, Matthew Thompson. Special thanks to voice actor Michael Bates, author Adrian Van Young, and our partners in crime at Open Road Media. Our audio producers are Chai Dingari and Andrew Kohler. Background music is by Audioblocks, and our theme music is by Absofacto at absofacto.com. For more information on the stories we present, visit our website, thelineup.com. That's the-line-up.com. Be sure to sign up for our newsletter as well, which brings you five mysteries to your inbox twice a week. This is Matthew, and that does it for me. Till next time, keep it weird. <laughs>